Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with you today. Amen. Hey, anybody looking to start some biblical Greek? No takers there. Okay. Hopefully somebody, else. how about in pastoral epistles? Anybody like, anybody went into that? All right. Well, anyways, anyways, we're definitely, no, definitely nobody's signing up for Greek. I heard that. So I had the privilege of being uh, able to bring the message this morning. I'm telling you, I'm thrilled because I was on the schedule a few weeks ago, but Corona got me. Corona got me and I'm healed up. I'm ready to go. And so I'm thankful to be, <laughs> amen. Thank you for all your prayers. And uh, continue to pray for all those who have COVID. It's definitely not a fun time. Um, I can honestly say it didn't hit me so hard. The worst, uh, the worst symptom I had is I couldn't taste my Thanksgiving dinner. So, I mean, you know, that's tough. But I know a lot of other people are having it much harder. So we want to lift them up and keep them in prayer. And, uh, you know, first, I, I thought Pastor Pat was going to be here. But he's actually with his, his brother's family as they're setting up the funeral arrangements this morning. And so you guys know that last Sunday... As Pastor Pat's brother went to the hospital, he was up till 3 a.m. into Monday morning. He came to the 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock meeting that we had, the staff meeting, led the meeting, did a whole funeral on like four or five hours of sleep, right? And then just a few days after that, he had to preach his Christmas Eve message, the day that his brother passed away, right? And so if you guys would just continue lifting up our pastor, he's really going through it. And and we just want to honor him. We're thankful for his leadership and sticking it out when it's not been easy. So we're thankful for you, Pastor Pat, if you're listening. If not, I'm sure he will be later. And uh, without further ado, let's pray as we open up the word this morning. Just ask God to be with us. So Lord, we give you this, this, uh, the rest of the service, Lord. We give you this time where we're going to open up your word. Lord, and we don't approach your word. We don't approach worship expecting to leave the same. Lord, we believe in the power of your Holy Spirit, and we believe that you can touch lives. Lord, you can convict, you can rebuke, you can show us where we need to change. God, and I ask that you would do that today. I ask that our hearts and our ears would be open to be willing to do that. Lord, and show us where we can do that. And in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. All right, so there's no King's Island today. So kids, did you know that there are actually 12 days of Christmas? Did you actually know that there are 12 days of Christmas? If you look at the liturgical calendar, a lot of us don't even know what liturgical means because we don't follow it, right? But if you look at the religious calendar, Christmas tide, if you will, starts uh, December 24th, Christmas Eve, and it goes all the way until January 5th. So you can tell your mom and your dad, why did I only get a gift on Christmas? I thought Christmas was supposed to be 12 days long. Sorry, parents. All right, anyways. And so you know that song, five golden rings, right? I see some of you singing along with me. You want me to sing the rest of it? No, me neither, me neither. All right, anyways. So there's 12 days of Christmas. I don't know what the partridge in a pear tree means, but I do know that if today is December 26th, today is actually the third day of Christmas tide. And so it starts with Christmas Eve. We're all about to learn something new. Then Christmas and the third day is, does anybody know what the third day of Christmas is? It's called St. Stephen's Day, St. Stephen's Day. And so maybe you're like, Noah, why aren't you talking about Christmas? Well, we're in the third day of this Christmas Eve. And so today we are talking about the feast of St. Stephen, something we've probably never said like that before. And so, 
you know, it sounds weird. What is St. Stephen's Day? Here, here's the feast. This is the feast. This, I think this is in the dining room, right? Is this out in the dining room? <laughs> okay, never mind. Then we're like, I hope so. But anybody still full from Christmas? Way too much ham, way too much prime rib or anything like that? All right, anyways, I know I am. So just like St. Patrick in March 17th, right, is a day where we're supposed to do more than just like drink green beer, you know, it's actually a day to celebrate St. Patrick, who was a missionary to the people who kidnapped him earlier in his life in Ireland. Maybe we've never heard that part of the story. Today, we're celebrating St. Stephen's Day. And so what is the day? It's a day to celebrate him. And so we're going to look at who was Stephen, what did he do, and why should we celebrate him today? And so I'm going to show you what I think we can learn from the greatest disaster of the early church and show how God's kingdom works so differently than anything we understand. All right, you with me today? Where we see tragedy, this is where we're going. Where we see tragedy, God is actually performing a greater work that serves an even greater purpose than we can even imagine, all right? Even greater purpose than we can imagine when tragedy strikes, something happening under the surface that we might not even see. And so I hope you brought your Bibles today because we're gonna be in the Word. So meet me in Acts chapter six. We're gonna start in verse seven. And so while you do that, I wanna give you a quick, where are we in the scriptures? I think a lot of us know Acts six, but not all of us. So here's what's happened. Jesus has already died. He's already resurrected and he's already sitting on a throne in heaven, right? He's already ascended into heaven. And since then, just a few chapters ago, there was a a day called Pentecost where all of a sudden things looked a whole lot different than they had before, right? All of a sudden the Holy Spirit descended upon these normal guys, you know, fishermen and tax collectors, you know, the dirty type, right? The, The Holy Spirit came down and miraculous things started to happen. And all throughout Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Christianity started to spread, all right? And and the church is absolutely exploding. Christians are taking over Jerusalem. Like Peter preaches a sermon, 3,000 people are saved, right? Like thousands and thousands are coming to know Jesus. And so you can imagine the religious leaders of Judaism are not so happy, all right? And so join me in verse seven of chapter six. Here's the problem. It says this, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit of God gave him as he spoke. We're gonna pause there for just a second, right? Miracles are happening. The word is spreading all over the place. People are converting. And get this, the priests are converting, it says, in large numbers, right? Imagine large numbers of priests. Imagine showing up to synagogue one day and all of a sudden there's just no priests left because they're all converting to Christianity, Right, you can imagine there's quite a problem in Jerusalem because there's no more priests. And so people are going from this rules-based law religion, right, to following Jesus. It's kind of this flipped over, I call it a flipped over upside down kingdom of grace and forgiveness rather than laws and rules. Anybody grateful for forgiveness and grace out there today? Anybody grateful for the grace and forgiveness that we receive? Because none of us can keep the rules and the laws. 
right? None of us can do that. And so Jesus came and he's proclaiming a better way. But, but what's happening with the, with the Jews is they're saying, no, no, we, we're doing what we've always done. We're, we're gonna continue doing what we've always done. We don't really want that freedom of just love God and love others. We like the strict you know, rules that we can check boxes off of. I didn't eat pork today, I'm good, right? I, I didn't come into contact with a leper, I'm good. It's easier to follow rules than it is to maintain a relationship, right? And so we don't necessarily like that freedom. We kind of like to be able to check the boxes off, especially if we're more type A, right? Relationships are harder than rules. And so I always heard the, the, the phrase, don't dance, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do, right? Is that a phrase that used to happen around here, right? I, I, think, I think for a long time, the test of faith the test of faith in our Christianity was, has alcohol ever touched your lips? Are you, are you stained or are you unstained? Right? Has, a, has a cigarette ever touched your lips? Are you stained or are you unstained? And I think that's our, maybe a modern equivalent of what's going on in Jerusalem. But you can imagine that there was this, you gotta stay clean. And all of a sudden, Jesus is coming with this grace and forgiveness and it was really messing things up for keeping the law. All right, and so the real problem that we got here is a lot of jealousy and fear, right? Priests are leaving. There's a lot of jealousy because all of a sudden these movements of God are happening. And so they've worked hard and long, long and hard at staying clean. And the problem, here's the thing. The problem with forgiveness and grace is that it grants equality to everybody, right? You, you, you know, in, in Galatians, they said there's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free. Right? It grants equality to everybody. And so there's neither sinner uh, nor saint. Well, I don't want to say sinner or saint. There is sinner or saint. But it doesn't matter what you've done, right? All of a sudden, every, everybody's on the same level, right? And so that's the problem. If you've worked years and years and years at maintaining the streak of keeping the law, and all of a sudden these dirty fishermen are coming and, and, and changing all that, right? You can imagine that losing tradition is kind of hard. Losing tradition is hard. Anybody's Christmas or Thanksgiving look a little bit different over the last couple of years? right? We used, to have, we used to have a prime rib. Now we're just eating taco salad, right? What, what happened, right? Well, there's no reason to cook a 20-pound prime rib, unless you're my father-in-law. He makes 20-pound prime rib no matter how many people are showing up. The best father-in-law in the world. We had 18 pounds of prime rib yesterday for seven people, right? Seven people. That's what I'm talking about. All right. When we, over, when we go over his house for steak, he makes three steaks a person. I'm telling you, it's the truth. All right. Anyways, so on top of that, right, so there's a problem. There's, on top of that, here's the problem. Stephen is full of grace, right? He's kind. He, he's not mean about it. He's also full of power. So when he speaks, all of a sudden, there's an authority that happens, right? He's got grace and power, and he's full of the Holy Spirit, right? This, which is how he has this grace and power. And not only that, but he's doing signs and wonders among the people that these priests, these Jews were not doing, right? So you can imagine there's, a, there's something at risk, right? Man, we don't have that grace. We don't have that power. And we definitely can't perform the miracles that Stephen is doing. And what I find is interesting is in this passage, it says, from the synagogue of the freed men. Everybody say freed men. What do we think freed men means? Men who have been freed. That's good. That's right. That's what that means. Right? The synagogue of the freed men. These were probably people who were slaves and have since either done their time or paid off the debt, and they're no longer slaves legally. They're no longer slaves legally, but they're still binding themselves to the spiritual slavery, right? Galatians, again, tells us if we bind ourselves to the law, we're bound as slaves, right? So they're, they're, the, they're the freed men legally, but spiritually, they're bound. And so the Christianity is spreading all over the place, and the Jews don't know how to stop it. So they come up with this radical plan that we see coming up here in verse 11 says this. 
They secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were looking, or all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like that of an angel. Then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? So they bring up false witnesses. There's nothing wrong that Stephen has actually done. And so the keepers of the law decide we are going to bring false witnesses, which if you know the law at all, what's the ninth commandment? You shall not bear false witness against your name. No, we don't need that. All right. So we're bringing false witnesses against Stephen, right? And this is the same thing that happened to Jesus. How many know that the same thing that happens to Jesus sometimes happens to his followers, right? Jesus promised trouble. And so they accuse him of speaking against Moses and against God and against the temple. And really, if these charges are true, these are not, uh, these are not small charges. These charges are worthy of death, right? This isn't the time you just take people out, drag them out and kill them right on the spot. So imagine the tension that's in the room at the time, right? If this guy's trial goes well, he's free. If it doesn't go well, he's not going to jail. He's not going to prison. He's dead. He's going to be dead within the hour. And so the biggest problem that they have with him is he's saying that Jesus came and said the customs of Moses are going to change, right? This is, this is everything to the Jews. This is everything, the law. It's their diets. It's their festivals. It's their parties. It's their haircuts, right? It's their clothes. It's their funerals. It's how they handle pandemics. It's everything that they do. It's everything that they do. And so who is Jesus to throw these out? This is blasphemy against God, they say. But did Jesus really come? Did Jesus, this is the question I'm asking, did Jesus really come to throw out the whole Old Testament? Did he really come to rip out those first five boring books of the Bible and, and throw them out and, and do things a different way? Did he do that? Did he come to abolish the law and the prophets? He says, no, I didn't, I didn't even come for that. He says, I came to fulfill them. And so he didn't do that. He's showing us a better way. And so what I realize as I'm reading this, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm putting my, my, myself in the place of these religious leaders is, Really, guys, here's the reality. We don't like change. You know, we might like small changes, like, you know, um, we like getting new shoes, right? We're getting new, new clothes. But, but imagine if, what, what if, here's a small change. What if next week they say, hey, service is at 2 p.m. What are we gonna do? Are you guys gonna show up? No, no, I'm not. I can't do that. We always met at 10 a.m. It worked perfectly, right? And these small changes can start to upset us. What if all of a sudden they said, uh, we're gonna be changing the color of the carpet, and we want everyone's opinion. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine the trouble that would start, right? We don't like change, even if it's gonna be better. And so um, I had the privilege of going to the Henry Ford Museum. And I told this story to a couple of people already. I had the privilege of going to the Henry Ford Museum just last week before Christmas. And if you've ever been there out in Dearborn, there's, there's a museum of cars and tractors and farm equipments. And one of the most fascinating things that I saw is in the 40s, um, not that yet, but just, just look here for a second. Uh, in the 40s, there was actually, or 40s, 50s, 60s, somewhere in there, they decided they were going to redo all of the housing, right? No longer are we going to use wood, but rather we're going to build these metal domes, 
We're going to build these metal domes that would kind of like, they would slice it in three. And it was just a big, anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody buy a metal dome? Anybody ever move into one of those? Yeah, it didn't work out. Terrible idea. Anyways, but one thing that I thought was interesting, go ahead, we can throw that picture back up there, is in 1900, President Teddy Roosevelt was in the office and you know, automobiles were pretty new around 1900, as you can imagine. And so at the time, there was, they were saying, hey, you should upgrade into a presidential uh, car. I don't know if they had limousines yet or anything like that. And he said, you know what? No, I'm gonna stick with the old way that we've always done things. And so this is what he did. He took the carriage and he took the horse. And what I find so interesting about that is he thought this was kind of like the, the good classic way of being the president is take the old traditional route when in reality, right, cars don't poop, <laughs> right? You don't have to look at the back. The back of a car doesn't look so bad as the back of a horse. You know what I mean, right? Uh, you don't have to feed it. Like there's so many better ways that an automobile brings yeah, he decided, you know what? I'm just going to stick with this. I don't know if the automobile really is going to catch on, right? I thought that was so interesting. It's kind of like what's happening right now. Like, are electric cars ever going to, are going to catch on? You know, some of us are like, no, oil, right? I want to get my fingers dirty. And some people are like, just put a battery in there and the thing goes good, you know? So, hey, don't, if you're an engineer, don't talk to me. I don't know anything about cars, all right? So I know, I know you can pick that apart. But anyways, I thought it was interesting that President Teddy Roosevelt wanted to stick with the horse and carriage when there was a much better way offered. And so what I think is the same thing that's happening here. There's a better way, but people like sticking with tradition. We don't like change. And so the accusation against Stephen is that he's rejecting God by accepting this new covenant that he brought, right? He's getting into that car rather than sticking into that, uh, that old horse and carriage. And so that's the problem. He's accepting this new covenant that Jesus brings. So they bring him up, they accuse him, and they give him a chance to speak for himself. And if anybody's read Acts chapter seven, you know that like Stephen is one of those long-winded type of people, right? And you know, you know the guy at church, that guy or that girl at church, when they start shaking your hand, they just keep holding on. You know, it's like, I gotta go. Like they're waiting for me after church. I gotta go. I got people coming over, but they just keep shaking your hand and just never let you go. That's kind of how I picture Stephen. This is the longest sermon in all of the Bible that Stephen gives, all right? And so I'm just gonna summarize it. I'm not gonna read it. Basically, what he says is this. Throughout all of Israel's history, if you read the Old Testament, all of Israel's history, God is pointing everything to Jesus, right? When, when Adam disobeyed, when Eve disobeyed and everything went awry, we have to understand that God didn't at that point create a plan B because plan A didn't work out, right? It wasn't like God was like, well, that didn't work, right? What do I do now? Maybe I'll send Jesus in a little while, but we got to get him ready, maybe a few thousand years or something. No, we have to understand that the entire Old Testament was pointing to Jesus, right? The law, the prophets, every single thing was pointing to him. And Jesus was always plan A, right? Always plan A. Here's how I'll show you. He talks about Abraham and Moses. What was the covenant given to Abraham? you will have a descendants that will be innumerable, right? And you will descendants that will last forever. How's that gonna happen unless there is an eternal son that can fulfill that, right? And so Jesus is the fulfillment of Abraham's covenant. And not only that, but how in the world is anybody ever supposed to keep Moses's covenant of keeping the law, right? Unless there is a perfect son who is also Jesus. And so as you'll see, as you read through the New Testament or the Old Testament, all these covenants find their fulfillment in Jesus, right? Which is why the law and the prophets, he didn't come to abolish them, but he fulfilled them. And so this is what he's talking about. He says, the only way 
that these things will happen is, is through Jesus. And now Jesus is bringing a new kingdom. No longer do we meet in temples. No longer do we do sacrifices in temples. Rather, the kingdom that he brings wouldn't be in a temple, but it would be in the human heart. Right? And so you got to understand, these people are used to going to, this, going to the synagogues, right? There's priests, and they would sacrifice, and they would do these laws, and they would keep all these laws. And all of a sudden, whoa, the priests are gone. They're not showing up at the synagogue because they're Christians now. All of a sudden, this temple's going away. It's not called synagogue. It's called church now. So you got to understand, everything is changing. And so here's where Stephen seals his fate, right? Join me in verse 51 of chapter seven. Here's where he seals. This is the very end of his very long message. He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You know anything about circumcision? I'm not gonna get too detailed, all right? But this is something that would happen to be part of the people of God, a physical thing that would happen to be part of the people of God. He's saying, you might be circumcised physically, but your ears and your hearts are far from God. You might think you're the people of God, but really your hearts aren't even open to him, right? And he says, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet that your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have murdered and betrayed him. You have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but you have not obeyed it. And so when they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed this, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And so he says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Basically, what he's saying is every time that God tries to move, you try to play defense. You try to tell us, no, 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 this is what God actually wants. And they miss what God is doing right in front of them, right? Not only that, but you ignore and you persecuted the prophets. You know, those ones that you were praying about, you know, the ones who you're praying that the Messiah would come and they come and prophesy about it. You just kill them. You know, those guys, yeah, you killed all of them. You know, the people that are bringing God's word from God's mouth to you, you threw them out. And most indicting, he says, you killed Jesus. Why, why kill someone who comes and who heals, who does miracles, who feeds, who values, who does all these good things that Jesus did? Here's why. Because we don't like change. Because they didn't like change, right? Jesus brought uncomfortability. He brought challenge and he brought self-denial, right? It's much easier to check the boxes of, of, the, of, of religion than to really have a relationship with Jesus. It's way easier to do that. It's way easier to do that. So obviously they hated this. They decide they're going to take him out. And here it is. Here's the beauty of the kingdom of God. 
as he's about to be killed, this is what I think is one of the greatest moments of human history, and it was written down and recorded for us. In the face of death, he looks up and he sees the glory of God. Would you just close your eyes for a second and try to picture what does the glory of God look like? Do you even have an image in your mind what the glory of God might be? And not only that, as if that wasn't good enough, seeing the very glory of God, then he looks over maybe to the, to the right hand of God and he sees that Jesus is not sitting as he, as he once was, but rather he's standing at the right hand of God. And for the first time, maybe Jesus or Stephen places his eyes on the face of the Savior, right? Jesus stood up to honor him. <laughs> Jesus stood up to honor Stephen for his witness and to welcome him into his eternal home. Do you know that that's all promised to us for the believer that one day you're gonna walk into the throne room of God and I don't know if Jesus is gonna be sitting or standing, but I think it's gonna look a lot like maybe the prodigal son where the father runs to you. And I don't think it's a long handshake. I think it's a big embrace. And I think that's all promised to those who are in Christ. My mother-in-law was telling me a story as, as her dad was passing away somewhere about 10 years ago or so. This guy was an absolute Man of God, absolute man of God. He was laying in his hospital bed and he was kind of in, in and out of consciousness for an amount of time. And so all the family came and was surrounding him and they knew that he didn't necessarily have a long time left to live. And so he was kind of laying on his bed, kind of sort of unconscious. And all of a sudden he sits up, his eyes wide open, looking brilliantly, kind of looking into the top corner of the room. And he was looking over all of his family members that surrounded him, right? Just pops up. And all of a sudden it was like his eyes met the face of Jesus and it was just, it was just kind of this gasp, right? This man who lived to, I think, 88 years old, he served the Lord his entire life. But that second that he laid his eyes upon Jesus, everything changed for him. It woke him up out of his unconscious state and he saw Jesus, took a breath and then, and then laid down. And we haven't seen him since, but we know that he's with Jesus. Right, and so I picture the same thing that, that Grandpa Pastorius was able to see. Right, it's something that we're all able to see. This is what, what Stephen must have seen. And so he didn't care. Can you imagine? He knew he was about to get stones hurled at him, but oh, to gaze upon the face of Jesus. Someday, my friends, this too will be our story. And so Stephen's dragged out, he's stoned, and he's killed. And that's like the end of the story, right? This is a big tragedy. Death is terrible. But I want to ask today, is it, a, is it an accident? Do you think it was an accident? Was, was God not in control? Right, right. Stephen served Jesus. Isn't Jesus supposed to take care of Stephen? Isn't that how it's supposed to work? Was he out of control? Was God surprised or was he doing something through all of this? I want you to look again at the very last verse of in verse eight, uh, chapter eight, verse one. It says this. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And here it is. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Right? So maybe that's something that we skip over because it's not necessarily super interesting. But let's think about this. The whole goal of killing Stephen by the Jews was what? They were trying to wipe out Christianity. And what ended up happening through the death of Stephen? 
the spread of Christianity, right? It was spreading too much. They decide we're going to knock this guy out and we're going to, it's, it's going to totally eliminate it. And guess what? All of a sudden, Christianity spreads farther than it ever has. No longer is it just in Jerusalem, but it's going south to Judea. It's going north to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, just like Acts 1, 8 says. Look at that. Is the death of Stephen a tragedy? Yeah. But was God doing something amazing through it? Yeah. Do you think Stephen would have done it again if he knew what was going to happen after his death? Absolutely. Right? And so God is doing things that we don't always see. Here's what they didn't know. The kingdom of God grows through adversity. Right? It didn't knock him out. It got stronger. Right? They're spreading all over the world. And so instead of killing Christianity, it spread it farther than ever before as people ran for their lives. I love that. It's spread and farther. People are emboldened. And so for all the kids in the room, anybody ever play Angry Birds before? Angry Birds, anybody? I know my dad has level 2000 over there. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. It's like, no, don't tell him my secret. All right, Angry Birds. Go ahead and throw this picture up there. There's a level in Angry Birds. Basically, the idea is if you've never played this game, you control the birds, who's the red guy, and you're shooting the green pigs, okay? Fantastic idea, fantastic. Where do they come up with these things, you know? Uh, and so basically, you control a slingshot, and you're shooting the pig, okay? And so most of the time, when you shoot the pig with the bird, the pig dies, and you get points, and you advance to the next level. But there is a certain type of pig that I could not find, and it's driving me nuts. I think it's this guy. We're going to go with this guy. That you actually shoot. You shoot it one time, and it actually splits off into three pigs, Right, and so you think, boom, I, sh I shot and I killed this pig. You guys see where I'm going. This is really cheesy. You shoot and you kill this pig and all of a sudden three pigs split off of that. And so I think this is kind of what the Jews were trying to do. They're aiming, they're like, we're gonna knock out Stephen, but guess what? Three pigs showed up? Mm -mm. Thousands of pigs showed up, all right? I'm not calling Christianity pigs. We better not call ourselves pigs. But you know what? One martyr turned into thousands of bold, hardworking, and ferocious evangelists in every city rather than just Jerusalem. You see what happens there. Think about angry birds. <laughs> and so there's a quote that happened from a guy named Tertullian. He lived in the second century AD. He says this, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. People kill Christians because they want to wipe out Christianity. But you know what happens? More rise up in faith and embolden and we get evangelists. And so what I realize is that persecution against Christ doesn't kill movements. It actually starts movements. Right? You guys with me? Persecution doesn't cause intimidation, but rather it causes imitation. Right? I hope that as you're seeing Stephen today, you're not intimidated. You're not like, oh man, I don't want that to be me. I hope that it emboldens you. And you're like, man, I want to see the face of Jesus just like Stephen did too. I'll give anything for that. Right? And so where does this leave us today on St. Stephen's Day? All throughout this passage, we see that people, we don't like change. We don't like surrender. We don't like to, to change these deep traditions. Again, we'll, we'll change shoes, but we're not, we're, do we like deep change? The problem, the problem is here is that Jesus is all about change. He's all about change. I'm stealing this from the courtroom. I'm rephrasing it. He wants the heart, the whole heart, and all that surrounds the heart. Right? That's what Jesus wants. He wants the heart, the whole heart, and all that surrounds the heart. And so here's the big, biggest life-changing question that I want to ask you today. What if your life isn't really about you? Fun stuff. What if your life isn't really about you? What if the reason that you exist is simply to be a witness for Jesus? 
it kind of seems like Stephen's life was a bit expendable. Like, well, it seemed like, you know, God's, I'm going to use this guy's life for the spread of Christianity. And all of a sudden we're like, what if that was your son? What if, what if that was, imagine me and Stephen's mom or his brother or his whatever, right? Was, was it worth it that Stephen had to die that way? But what if your life isn't really about you? What if it's not about your desires and your truth and your wishes and your aspirations, your goals and your dreams? What if it's not about you? What if you're not here for you? What if there's a bigger purpose? Because Stephen gave all of this up and, it, and, and look what it cost him. It cost him his entire life. But you know what? Stephen's body is not at the bottom of some pit somewhere. Well, maybe his body is, but you know where he is? He's not there, right? He's living with that savior that stood up to greet him that day. And so here's what I wanna challenge you with today. When you become a Christian, you know, we quote Romans 10, 9 all the time. If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's true. That's absolutely true. Here's the thing. What does it mean that we confess that Jesus is Lord? When you've made that confession, if you have, I hope that you have. If you haven't, this is the best confession that you can ever make. But when you confess that Jesus is Lord, what did that mean to you? Does that simply mean that you would rather go to heaven with angels and gold streets and lots of food than, you know, burning like a fire? Is that it? I'd, yeah, I'd rather go there and see my friends rather than go here and suffer forever. That's true. That's part of it. But what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Have you surrendered to him? It means that Jesus is in charge. It means that he's the boss. It means that the things that he says we have to do. It means when he says, follow me, it means that we're supposed to follow him, right? It means the way that he handled money, we're supposed to handle the money. It means that the way that he handled sinners, we're supposed to handle sinners. It means that the way that he handled politics, we're supposed to handle politics, right? And so I know that we all think we've absolutely nailed it. And we found that perfect, perfect article on everything, right? But what if Jesus's perspective is far different than any article that's ever been read? What if you can't know Jesus through reading other people's opinions about him and you actually have to get, him to, to get to know him yourself? <laughs> have you surrendered to him as Lord? So my question today is, are you willing to be a witness for Jesus? Are you willing to be a witness like Stephen was? I'm not saying, you know, we live in a very different uh, culture at this point, right? We probably won't get stoned. Thank God. <laughs> but are you willing to be a witness in your neighborhood? What about your neighbors? You ever talk to your neighbors, period? Have you ever talked to your neighbors about Jesus? Do you care about your neighbors? Do you care about uh, the workplace that you live in? What about the person that's in a cubicle next to you? You ever talk to that person? Do you show kindness? Do they know you're a Christian? Do you act like a Christian? What about in your school? Third, fourth, fifth grade, doesn't matter what you're in. Do you act like Jesus? What about your family? I wanna challenge the dads in the room today. I wanna challenge the dads and the men in the room. Are you willing to pray in front of your families? Are you willing to pray out loud in front of your families? Or is it kind of embarrassing? Are you willing to read the Bible in front of your families and be that witness in your own home? Are you willing to take that leadership role? What, what about this? Are you willing to, to raise your hands and worship and have your kids see that? Or is it kind of embarrassing? Our mind should switch to see that the suffering that Stephen endured was used for good in the kingdom and is to be expected, right? Here's the thing. Jesus never said that we we're gonna be happy, wealthy, and healthy. He never said that. He actually said, trouble's gonna find you. If it happened to me, it's gonna happen to you. <laughs> 
right? And so maybe this is not a message that's like, yes, I love to suffer. No, none of us like suffering, but God does more through suffering than he does probably through prosperity, right? So why are we celebrating St. Stephen today as we're wrapping up? Because he gave his entire life to Jesus and look what God was able to do with it. Through the death of Stephen, Christianity spread all over Israel, all over Israel. So no matter what you're going through today, no matter what you've gone through today, or no matter what you're going to go through, I want you to know that God is working things for his glory, right? Do you believe that today, that God is working things for his glory? We got a lot of funerals that are coming up and a lot of funerals that have happened and people are suffering. Do we believe that even in the midst of trouble, that God is working things for his glory? Or do we believe that, God, this must be a mistake. What if there's something amazing that God is doing through that? What if there's something amazing? So as we head into this new year and new struggles and new joys, I'm gonna ask, who are you gonna live for in 2022? Right? Who are you a witness of? Are you building your own kingdom? Are you just representing your own brand? Or are you seeking the kingdom of God and you're a witness for Jesus? And I hope that you can see that witness is far greater than just walking up to, to, on the street and trying to tell people about Jesus, that you, people that you've never met, right? That's one way to be a witness, but there's a thousand ways to be a witness and it involves every second of your life. You can be a witness in your home, a witness in your family, a witness in your uh, workplace, a witness everywhere that you go. Can you be a, work, can you be a witness at Meyer? <laughs> can you be kind in the lines? Can you, can you approach places with grace like Stephen did? Right? You can be a witness in far more ways than just simply street preaching because I know that's kind of like not our favorite thing to do. And so today we're celebrating St. Stephen and the example for the witness that he gave and how God used his life. And so, you know, we don't worship saints, right? We're not worshiping Stephen. We're not worshiping, we're worshiping Jesus. But today we're celebrating his life and, and maybe you can have a feast in the name of St. Stephen, if you will. That might be weird. But, but yeah, I think we should do it. Celebrate in the name uh, of Jesus and because of what Stephen did. So I just wanna pose this question to you and, and Heather's gonna start to play. And we're just gonna have a little bit of a time of reflection, whether you wanna come up to the altars or you wanna stay in your seats and just kind of think. I wanna ask you, are you living your life as if it's all about you today? Is your life for you or is it for someone else? Because that's not what Stephen did. And that's not what a follower of Jesus is called to do either. So just take a minute and just to ref- and reflect on the life of Stephen and how it might change the way that you should live today. Will you be a witness today for Jesus as you go? I hope that you see these kings and kingdoms will all pass away and so will yours. But if you have received life, eternal life through Jesus Christ, oh, your life is just begun. <laughs> It's just begun and it's never, ever, ever gonna end. And so God, we just thank you today for your word, Lord. We thank you for the example of of St. Stephen, Lord, one who was so bold in his faith, so sure of his salvation, Lord, that he was able to stand in the face of death and oh, just to gaze upon the face of the Lord. (laughs) Lord, we all desire to have that, that moment one day where we can see you face to face and Lord, we all will. Lord, I pray for anybody in the room who has not made that declaration today, Lord, that they would surrender their hearts to Jesus. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to draw and to pull them in so, Lord, that they would have that same assurance, 
Lord, that Stephen had on that day. Lord, fill us all with grace as he did. Lord, fill us all with power as he, as he had. And Lord, fill us all with your Holy Spirit that we may go in the power and in the name of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, just as the early disciples did. Lord, bless us all as we go. We thank you. We're glad to worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.